This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. My name's Craig Getting, and I'm here to say I like reading books in a major way. Why are you doing this to me? My best friend Andrew has a cat named Newman. I'm sort of really curious what would happen were he human. Okay, so you, you're you like angling your head as though you're reading something, which means that you wrote this ahead of time, which is great. So I saw Hamilton yesterday. Okay, and it had like it made you want to write some of your own raps. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. Oh, Welcome to Overdue. You. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. As I my said, my name is Andrew. As I and said, I'm here to say. <laughs> so and here's the I'm so here I to did, roll my eyes I was, in the biggest way. Oh, there you go. I was inspired by everyone's best friend Lin Manuel Miranda uh, to write some raps, and I just shared two of them with you, and I wrote so th- one more. Were, would you say those are the best of the raps that you've written so far or the, like practice raps to kind of like those are the, kick the tires a little bit? Or? They're they're part of my juvenilia. They're the first of the raps that I've so written. So later when you write better raps, people you, will look at these and they'll say, well, they aren't good, but they're interesting from like a completionist yes. perspective. Okay, great. You can all look at them and say, oh, I heard them I heard them then. So here you go. Here it is. Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's novels in his book pack already. It's time for Betty, but he's nervous. He's reading Small Mercies by Eddie Joyce, but not James, who we keeps on forgetting. And then I didn't, and then I didn't finish it yet because we had to start what? recording. But I think it's pretty good. I think it's a good beat. Okay, it's about like, books. It a- <laughs> is it about anyone or anything in particular it's like a, tell me what's the like what biography did you read that you're writing this hip-hop musical now? i read a biography called uh, it's called candy coated and it's about a rapper named eminem and mm-hmm. the the chocolate center is that he loves books so I figured that I could write a rap about how much he loved books. And I decided to reference a novel I'd never heard of. Um, that always goes well. Called Small Mercies by A. Joyce because I needed something that rhymed. <laughs> It'll be a large mercy when we, when I stop hearing you talk about raps. <laughs> Your raps. Oh man, mixtape come to iTunes. Find me on SoundCloud. The, the overdue <laughs> mixtape. <laughs> Find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash best raps. We got Moby for the mixtape. I can't wait. Ooh. Yeah. We we found the best. Not we rappers, also got just Tim the McGraw best. to do some raps. <laughs> He seemed yeah. a little uncomfortable, but he really loosened up. Yeah, after the fifth one or so. 
mm-hmm. drink that is. Andrew, we are here to talk about books, not raps. I'm sorry I distracted you. You really did. And every week one of us reads a book and then tells the other person about it. And sometimes the other person asks questions and we talk about the author and all that jazz. So we're going to do that again this week. I hope that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I came prepared. I mean, we do that every week. I'm starting to wonder, like, maybe people want us to, like, shake it up and become a podcast about, like, cookies or something. But, no, we'll keep talking about books for at least one more week. (laughs) At least one more week. What book did you read for this week's show? I read The Outsiders, which is by Sarah Eloise Hinton. Don't you mean S.E. Hinton, Andrew? I I do mean. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, she was. There's a little Q and A at the back of this book that I read, and she said that basically her publisher. This was published. This book was published in what, like 1967. Her mm-hmm. publisher was worried that people wouldn't believe that a woman could write this book, and so sure. she used initials. And then later on, she just liked having uh, an author name that was separated from her regular name, and she kept it. Yeah. 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 And this book was recommended to us uh, by one of our illustrious Patreon donors, Annie. So, Annie, thank you for making Andrew read The Outsiders. Now, you had never heard of this book. Is that possible? I'm sure that I've heard of it, like, ever. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't have instant name recognition. Okay, sure, sure. But, like, some of these names, I think, have pervaded the popular culture in a way that they're familiar. Yeah, we're going to hit some of them. I read this book in middle school, so I kind of had heard a little bit about Essie Hinton that, you know, she was born in Oklahoma in 1948. She published this book when she was a teenager, Andrew. Yep, she wrote it when she was, like, 15 and 16. Yeah, and it was kind of based off of some gangs that were at her school, the Will Rogers High School. I was just, like, looking at that fact and, like, what was the coolest thing that you did as a teen? Did you write a book that went on to sell 14 million copies? I definitely did not. (laughs) I read most of The Wheel of Time, I think. Like, that was my accomplishment, my contribution to the canon. I I was my band's drum major, like... Ooh, I played trombone. That put, was pretty good. Put the quotation marks around coolest thing I did, I guess, but that's certainly yeah. the most notable thing I did. I was a pretty good like all the people at the at the McDonald's drive through. Um the one in front of the Southland Mall in Marion. Oh that Ohio. Oh that one. Sorry, well, I was I mean, thinking about the Mary, other one. There are there are three McDonald's <laughs> in Marion, Ohio, so you gotta be specific about the one that you say that you worked at. All the people at the drive-thru window thought that I had such a nice voice. So that was oh, a big moment for me. And a podcast career was born mm-hmm. at the drive-thru window. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, ooh, we need to move on. Pull on to the first window. Um, <laughs> how many times do you have to ask if they want a fries with that? Is that a I McDonald's never, thing? Like they were, I trusted them to tell me if they wanted fries. <laughs> That's why you're never going to get ahead in this business, Andrew. Typically, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Did I tell you about the time that an army guide came through the drive-thru and I tried to give him Sacagawea dollars because I didn't have any <laughs> regular ones left and he told me that he would wait for real money? No! What? 
Did he make a big stink about being an army guy? Like I didn't fight for this country to get Sacagawea dollars. He was dressed in his in his uniform, his full regalia. And I took yeah, I took note of it because it's like it's legal tender, and you expect maybe (laughs) a guy in the armed forces to to be okay with that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was like a mistaken assumption on my part. Okay. Uh, back to S. E. Hinton, Susan Eloise. Um, she made this book and like everyone was super excited about it. It is widely regarded as helping to solidify the genre of young adult fiction. She has a really good quote about it that I want to read you. Oh, okay. Go for it. Again, from the Q and A in the back of the book. Um, at that time, realistic teenage fiction didn't exist. If you didn't want to read Mary Jane goes to the prom and you were through with horse books, there was nothing to read. (laughs) I then pretty sick slam on horse books. Pretty good slam on horse books. I also found a New Yorker article from 2014 where she said that the outsiders died on the vine being sold as a drugstore paperback, uh, but that her publishers noticed that it was selling really well with teachers using it in their classes and realized that there was like a whole separate market for young mm-hmm. adults. So I think like there were a couple books in the 50s. That got picked up in a similar way, but this book is also important in that, like, it was being written by a teen as well. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, like its its path of publication is is interesting because she says that um, she didn't she didn't really think about publishing it when she wrote it, but she mentioned it to a friend whose mom wrote children's books, and hmm. so she gave it to her friend's mom. Her friend's mom gave it to her a friend who had a New York agent and then the agent liked it and sold it to the second publisher who read it. Cool. She's yeah. a she's a pretty private person so we don't know too much about her like personal life. She She does have a Twitter. She's got like 42 million followers yeah, or something. Yeah, her it's making us feel a little inadequate over a little here. bit. Um after she wrote The Outsiders and this is from her website this little anecdote. Um she had 3 years of writing block. And her boyfriend, who's now her husband, I believe, um, told her that she had to write two pages a day so she would stop being so depressed. And Jeez. this this became her next book. That was then. This is now published in 1971. So <laughs> that seems a little, ooh, but it got a book, got a book made. Um, yeah, I mean, I get that. That That's one school of thought rewriter's block right yeah, is that you should just, just do make it yourself do it and you'll get over it yeah it's like daily rhymo or whatever that's not daily okay. rhymo is Don't... that what you're calling your little the sessions where you write your little raps <laughs> every day i write a new rap yeah daily rhymo with craig <laughs> i just i just got that um oh, you're laughing a lot over there yeah it's been a long day um it's, other books of hers include uh, Rumblefish and Tex in 75 and 79. Uh, she took a break from writing after Tex for a period of time because she started having movies made of her books, uh, including the film The Outsiders, directed by one Francis Ford Coppola, Andrew. Yeah, it had a bunch of hot boys in the it. Brat, it had Patrick the Swayze, mm-hmm. Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, and more. Uh, who's the um, other one that I'm thinking of? Roy Macchio. Macchio is Macchio in that one? Yeah, Ralph Macchio. Yeah. Ralph Macchio. Uh-huh. Um, 
And it was all like that film in 1990. They like spun off a TV, a TV show series. that was like yeah. a sequel to the stuff that happened in the movie. <sighs> I don't know and about it that. Starred none of the people <laughs> <laughs> who were in the movie because by the time you know, by the time it was 1990, I don't think any of those yeah. people would have been. Well, Emilio Estevez was moving on to his Mighty Ducks career at that point. I think. Yeah, that so. was a big deal for him. But uh, one cool footnote about that TV show: some of the music was by uh, W. G. Snuffy Walton. Who did the music for The West Wing, among other shows. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Tidbit about the film, it got made because uh, an elementary school teacher, I believe, or a grade school teacher, wrote a letter to Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, You can find this on the website Letters of Note. But it just says, uh, I'm writing you on behalf of the students and faculty of Lone Star School. We hope you will take the time to consider our request. We are also impressed with the book The Outsiders that a petition has been circulating asking that it be made into a movie. We have chosen you to send it to. In hopes that you might also see the possibilities of the movie, we have enclosed a copy of the book. That If that's what it takes to get movies made... Maybe that's why the Transformers movies got made. I feel like that was a different time, though. Like, now, whenever anything could possibly be a movie, like, it's already been optioned, that's at least. Sure. Okay. okay. Like, nobody's willing to let any promising IP just die on the vine anymore. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, the, Coppola so much liked the book that he actually then also made the movie Rumblefish, uh, which I think had, like, Al Pacino or somebody in it, um, based off her other <laughs> book. So she, uh, I think that's most of what's useful for her. She uh, is a big fan of the show Supernatural, apparently, and has visited the set multiple times. Interesting. Uh, And when asked about young adult books today, she says, I don't know what the hot topic is. I don't care what's trending. I read mostly nonfiction. But she does express concern for the genre's focus on female readers, which is not... I, we have maybe talked about that before. I don't know. Um, she says, I do feel that the boys are getting left out. Girls will read boys' books, but boys won't read girls' books. If you're writing for a girl, you've got most of the audience on your side anyway. I interesting guess, assertion. Yeah, like what I want to know... I guess is what she means, like what she thinks a girl's book is. Like, Mm -hmm. does she think the Hunger Games is a girl's book? Like, if it's about a girl or from a girl's perspective, is it a girl's book? Like, what does she, what does she mean? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, I still think though that like reading in general seems to be like less, less of a cultural norm for like teen boys. I guess I don't know anything about Maybe teen I boys, I which I'm like I fine with. That's fine. <laughs> uh, if, um, well, except for our podcast listeners, because we're number one for teens. Hello, teens. Hello, Welcome teens. Back. <laughs> Greetings, fellow teens. Greetings, teens. Uh, Welcome back to Overdue. Those of you who sell books to teens or teach teens about books, like, let us know what you think about that quote, because I, it's an interesting. Like I hear it and I it sounds true, but now like sharing it out loud, it yeah, feels like, more I, assumptive than anything. So I hear it and I'm and I need to know more about what what the genre she she's means. like pigeonholing because it sounds like it sounds like books should just be books. Like maybe like is she talking about like romance kind of stuff or not even romance, but like like. I don't know. Let's just like cherry pick Rainbow Rowell or someone who's 
yeah. writing stuff that feels more geared toward like a stereotypically female audience, you know? Well, and John Green. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, even, even though da- those are even, about those are about boys, but they're about like sensitive boys. Yeah, and even Daniel Older's stuff. Yeah, it. There is a. I don't know. Let hit us up. Overduepod at gmail.com. We'll talk about all the contact info later. Andrew, let's yeah. talk about this book. I don't know that I agree, but I think her perspective is potentially interesting on this. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's talk about this book though that you let's read. Let's talk about this book though. What do you want to know about it? It was like I said, it was published in 1967 when she was a teenager. It was written. She started it when she was 15 and wrote most of it. I think her junior year in high school when she was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so for the for the 90s for the years 1990 to 1999, it's number 38 on the ALA's 100 most frequently challenged books because of its like gang violence and underage smoking and drinking and. The book, it's interesting, the book doesn't swear ever. Whenever someone's going to swear, it trails off. And then she says that, like, the person <laughs> let fly such a colorful stream of swears that it was truly impressive or that's, something. That certainly sounds of a piece with, like, Harper Lee. Like, it's sort of a, it's like a Lovecraftian, yeah. a Lovecraftian <laughs> approach to swearing. Where you can't even imagine. Yeah, like, seeing it would would cheapen it in oh, some that, way don't, that happens in a, <laughs> the mind will come up with more colorful swears than she ever could i think that happens in a christmas story in the film a christmas story when like the dad starts swearing and he just starts like babbling it, and, yeah and you can hear like strings of it that don't really sound like anything yeah sure okay but like what I is it didn't say fudge what is the book about one. even though the outsiders what are they outside of who are they Okay, so the book we we get it primarily from the well, entirely from the perspective of one Pony Boy Curtis. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not a nickname; that is his birth name. <laughs> he was born. That's his Christian name, Pony mm-hmm. Boy Curtis, mm-hmm. and he is part of this. Not even like he's part of a loose gang of people who we'll talk about more in a minute, but. He's part of this like loose social class called the Greasers, and they are it's mostly like teen boys, uh-huh. teen and like early twenties boys from the wrong side of the tracks, basically. Okay. And they've got too long hair, and they're seen as like hoodlums and street toughs. Now, does the book like explain the name Greaser in any specific way, or is it just understood? They got long greasy hair. Okay. Okay. It's pretty like pretty. <laughs> I was just making. Was you could just to make assume it- that it. Yeah. Just making sure um, that it wasn't like because we, because we grease our hair up good or yeah no that's mostly it and it's okay. used it's one of those terms that's used derogatorily from by by other classes but then they also kind of like take it take on it for themselves sure as a like a mark of pride too, um and they are set up in opposition they they are the outsiders relative to the socias s o c h and that is the pronunciation given in the back of the book. Um, How's it spelled though in the book? S O C S. I said, I, did I say that? You I said S O C H. No, S O C S. So the socks. It looks like socks, but it's pronounced socials. <laughs> okay. Short, short for socials. Ew. And okay. uh, they're the they're the rich kids from the other side of town. Mm. Okay. Basically, and they will often like drive around in their Mustangs and their nice shirts and come over and beat up the greasers. Um, the greasers have a few, like a few different little gangs and they will 
fight amongst themselves sometimes, but when it comes down to it, like greasers will team up against Sochas and the other way around. Like when there's like that sounds like in wrestling, like there's like guys, there's good guys and there's bad guys. There's faces and there's heels. And right? there yeah, and some of the heels will fight each other because they don't like each other. But then when it's like a pay per view event when it's like WrestleMania, they all team up with the faces. Yeah, they all team up against the faces, against the good guys. Yeah, okay. Now I understand it now through the prism of wrestling. Thank you. That's I do find that I often have to describe things to you in terms of wrestling, wrestling and raps. That's how I understand the world. You do. You are really sick at raps. I've got to say, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sick with raps. I can't speak one oh right God. now. Yeah, you are definitely sick. You're. Pregnant with raps. I've got the raps, Papa. You've got a bad case of the raps. <laughs> and the only cure is to just drop a beat. We're really good at this. Um, So we meet Pony well, Boy. Yeah, so there's Pony Boy Curtis. He's he's part of a family unit. He's got his older brother, Soda Pop. Come on. His name, his given name is Soda, but his, they call his nickname <laughs> Soda Pop. I've read I read this book and I've forgotten some of these details. His given name is Soda. Yeah. Well, his his the name on his birth certificate is Soda, but an affectionate nickname that people call him is Soda Pop. Do we get to meet these parents who name their kids Soda and Pony Boy? No, because they're dead. Okay. Okay. And uh, both Soda and Pony Boy are being looked at after by their oldest brother Daryl. Who has a normal name? He's <laughs> less creative on that one. I guess like Pony Boy is that a family name? Do you think like Pony Boy and Soda? It's gotta be, but like, but named after a nickname. Or do you think they had like maybe they had a name our kid poll that they put up online? Or and was, they just had to name their like kid kid face or whatever. Or it was like a Mrs. Doubtfire situation where they handed them the kid and said, "What should you call it?" and the dad was like, um, soda. And they handed him another one and he looked at the papers. He was like, I'm betting on the pony boys. <laughs> yeah, this is Mrs. Doubtfire 2 is not as good as the first one. Really not as um, good. And so yeah, they they their parents died um within like within a few months of the action of the book. Mm, like so it's mm. still a relatively recent thing. Okay. And um Daryl's looking after Soda, who is like dropped out of school, but he's very handsome and he's like cool to just work at the at the garage and be cool, and that's his life. <laughs> um, and then Pony Boy, who gets pretty good grades, and he's like a track star. And um, Daryl, whose name is in the like his nickname is Dairy. Okay. Um, D a r r y, not like milk and. Yogurt. That would have been too good, but mm-hmm. okay. Um, he's like Derry is always always after him, like trying to get him to do his schoolwork and always keeping tabs on him and trying to know where he is. Um, Pony Boy is fourteen in the book, and he's kind of the youngest of this of this gang of boys. Okay, uh, which also includes um, it includes this guy named Dallas, whose nickname is Dally. It's like Dally and Derry. That, that makes sense. Um, he is. A uh, rough and tumble greaser who lived in in New York for a while, so he's really ironically his name is Dallas, though. Yeah, well, this takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's never um, it's never named in the book, but 
Yeah, that we know the that it's setting doesn't. up okay. it. So right, sure. Yeah, so it's not so, like we're in New York and his name is Dallas. So he's a big city boy. He was was hardened by the mean streets of the city. Oh no. Okay. Um, you got this guy Two Bit Matthews, who's always he's a kleptomaniac and he's always taking stuff. Um, you got this guy named Steve, who's Soda Pop's <laughs> best friend. Just Steve. Yeah, okay. Steve Randall. No cool nickname. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Dairy Dally, Pony Boy, Soda Pop, Two Bit, and Steve. <laughs> Two Bits and Steve. And then there's this guy Johnny Cade, who is. 16, but he's like relatively small and sensitive. And also, a couple months before the action of the book, he was beaten super badly by this gang of socias. And they did a lot of, of physical and mental damage on him to the point where he's just like, he's, he's always been quiet, but he's like very quiet and everybody is very like protective of him. And he's that way at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Pony Boy likes to go, he likes to read, he likes to go to the movies. This is not people, this is not, these are not activities that people in his rough and tumble gang always like to do. Okay. Uh, so Dally and Pony Boy and Johnny, because Johnny really looks up to Dally and Dally is especially protective of Johnny. Um, they all go to the movies and they sit behind a couple of Soch girls who are there. They were there with their boyfriends but their boyfriends got like drunk, and so they told him to go away. That seems wise. And Dally is kind of hitting on him in a skeezy kind of way, and the girls are like, "You leave us alone." And Pony Boy and Johnny kind of like stick up for for them and tell Dally, Dally to quit it. So Dally stalks off, and then Pony Boy and Johnny go up and sit with the girls. Whoa! Yeah, and they're super pretty. Oh, and are the girls in high school? Because Dally, yeah. Okay. They go like all most many of these kids go to the same high school. Okay. Which is a sign I guess that it's 1967 because in now times like all the socials would go to weird charter schools and or or other private schools and Yeah, then, and the and the socials would all be stuck in like in public school with the, all the funding drying up and everything getting worse yeah. all the time and the grease yeah. the greasers. Yeah. The greasers, yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Um so they sit with these girls and they they kind of hit it off because one of the girls, uh, Cherry Cherry Valance, that's a great name. Her her first name is Sherry, but she's her nickname is Cherry. These so Sherry, nicknames are so good. They're just like what if your name but different slightly. Sherry Cherry Valance. Okay. Um, she especially is like, hey, you're 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 pretty neat. You're a greaser, but like you're pretty cool and he's like well you're a soch but you're also pretty cool and like, they're like getting along and so they're walking home and some of the soches like cut like drive up on him yeah and get in a big old fight with pony boy and johnny and so one of the soches um who was especially responsible for beating up johnny a couple months ago he's like holding pony boy's head in this water fountain and drowning him and Johnny like comes up on him and stabs him and kills him. Whoa! With like a knife. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That seems like it would violate not only like actual law, but like the laws of the socials versus the greasers. Yeah, Killing it does, like, seems a step too far. It does 
set off some stuff that that we'll maybe get into a little bit later. I don't know how much we want to talk about just the plot and how much we want to get into to thematic stuff. But um, the Pony Boy and and Johnny and the only reason Pony Boy is even out is because he like accidentally falls asleep while he's out and he gets home really late and Derry gets really really mad at him and like in a moment of of anger like hits him and it's the first time that anybody in that family like ever hit somebody else in that family oh and it's like you can feel the air go out of the room in that moment yeah i I would like soda and dairy and and pony boy because they're all supposed to look after each other yeah and so pony boy like hightails it out of there and so he comes upon johnny and that's when like the socias come like they they run into the socias when they're still with the girls and the socias kind of ignore them in favor of just like talking to the girls and and trying to be like hey yeah it's okay like come on back baby but then they then this thing happens and And then yeah and then like later they circle back around and they're like hey yeah you were with our girls let's fight let's fight about it that's not good yeah not great because they're Um, not gonna fight in front of the girls yeah like no okay okay I don't know if that's like a, a strict, like a hard and fast rule, but it seems like a rule that they would at least pretend existed, like an informal sort of thing. Yes. Um, yeah, because because interestingly, and, and Hinton talks a little bit about being a tomboy, and she sort of ran with a with a gang, like a you know, like a gang in the sense of this book, just like a bunch of rough and tumble buddies who kind of look out for each other and get into scraps, but like she was involved with these guys and she didn't even like really think of them as like toughs until somebody called them toughs. And then she looked around and realized they were all like, yeah, I guess we're all kind of toughs, aren't we? Hmm. (laughs) But like, she's right. She is coming at it from that perspective, but pony boy is obviously a boy and everybody else is boys. And the only women exist like briefly as not even love interest necessarily, but like that's that's kind of the role more or less. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, okay. So Johnny and Pony Boy, with the help of Dally, they hightail it out of there. Dally doesn't like he doesn't go with them, but he does tell them like an abandoned church in a town over that they can go and they can hide out in oh, for a few days. Yeah, doesn't while he, he like dies down? Like dye his hair. With like yeah, they both like cut, they both like cut their hair, and and Pony Boy bleaches his hair because they want to like not match the description of themselves that the police will be looking for. Sure. Um. So Pony Boy and Johnny hide out in this church for a few days, and they they eat baloney until they get sick of it, <laughs> and they read like Gone with the Wind because it's all that there is to do. And after a few days, Dally comes and and says he's going to get them. And he like they drive away and they go and they eat because they haven't eaten anything but bologna for days. Then when they get back to the church, it's actually on fire. Mm. And so they all like Pony Boy and Johnny are pretty sure that they started it because they were smoking in there. Okay. Um. So they go up to the church and they find out that there are like four little kids who are playing in there and they're trapped in there. What? Uh, so Pony Boy and Johnny like feeling responsible. They run in and like save the kids. But as they do that. Pony Boy gets hurt and Johnny like gets super hurt. Oh god. Like a, like a beam falls on his back and breaks his back. No. So they're all in the hospital and Dally is hurt and Pony Boy is hurt, but they're gonna be basically fine. And Johnny is like hurt and alive, but it's clear that 
it doesn't look super good. I would imagine not. For him, yeah. Um, so the rest of the book is sort of is is fallout from from there. Like the the socials are obviously upset that one of their own was killed. Yeah. Um, but one of the themes that comes up, and so it first comes up with Pony Boy and Cherry, and then it comes up again between um, Pony Boy and. Uh, this guy Randy, who is the best, like one of one of the friends of the guy who got killed. The guy who got killed, his name was Bob, and he's Cherry's boyfriend. Okay, so this Randy is different from Steve Randall, who's a greaser. Yes. Okay. That's Steve. <laughs> okay. And this is Randy. <laughs> this is Randy. Please try to keep up. Okay. Um, and Randy's just like, man, that's it. Got it. Got too real and. Like we're all just just people, and it we like we shouldn't be killing each other. <laughs> like okay, so like the violence like flipped a switch in him, and he's like, maybe we've all gone too far. Yeah, and there there are a lot of like so the class conflict obviously is a big theme in this book. Sure, and so we get moments with with greasers realizing not greasers but Sosha's thinking that Pony Boy is all right, and Pony Boy like realizing that Sosha's are. Like they have money, but they're also just people. And as Cherry says, times are hard everywhere. Hmm. Okay. And um, is there is there any of the narrative of like because this is this will often happen in like a, a fish out of water class narrative where it's like, oh, rich like kids who are well off are under other like are under different pressures that are all like personal and about achievement in school or about living up to our parents yeah there's a there's a thing with um with bob where randy's talking and he he says basically like he just kept acting out because he was desperate he was desperate for somebody to like impose boundaries upon him oh that's yeah and and so he would like drink and get into trouble and his and he would get home after a night of drinking and his parents would be like oh no what did we do to like make this happen to you and like it's all our fault, and like it's they are not parenting in the traditional sense. <laughs> sure, and, but there are there are so, adults like, I, in the book. It's not like it's not like Snoopy, right? Like there are. Yeah, no. Like Johnny has parents who both kind of abuse and ignore him. Okay. Um, but like since we're getting most of it from Pony Boy, it can feel like a world without adults. Because <laughs> <laughs> because it's just dairy and them but yeah a lot of the other kids have parents and um i like i do sort of object to this idea of like oh you have family issues and that's just as bad as like extreme poverty but i see where hinton is coming from i guess like everybody's got their stuff well, and that's... I do think that some stuff is like inherently worse than other stuff. Yes, like you can't just you, you can't just put everything on the same level like that. Necessarily. No, I don't think you can, and that's a big that's a part of a larger conversation that like everyone in the world is hopefully having outside of this podcast. Um, I think this is of this conversation is of a piece with something like the Breakfast Club, right? Oh, like no. where what? Forget about me. Oh, sure. Um, no, no, no. I'm gonna put my no, fist. I'm gonna, no. <laughs> I'm gonna put my fist in there. Forget about uh, me. Where like they're all from different walks of life, but they're they all hate their parents basically or whatever, and 
they're all dweebs in their own way, and they're you know everybody's it's a sort of like that. Like Pony Boy and Soda and and Dairy all love their parents very much. But. Well, but sure. Um, but yeah, every like everybody, everybody's got their stuff you know, from all walks of life, no matter what where you're from. And like if we if everybody just sat down and talked, like they'd all see that they're all just people. And yeah, and and no, and to say that out loud does sound like very Pollyanna y and not actionable. I think what's what it feels like it might be true if you're just exclusively talking about white culture. Yes, certainly. where like automatically the rich people aren't going to see the poor people as yes necessarily lesser than because on the outside they look they look the same. Correct, that is very um, true, and that's so not it's a, that's, that in in that way it's worth noting that this takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1967. Like, so the civil rights movement was like not there. Well, you're just like you don't meet any black people ever. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's what happened. She's writing about her high school, you know. Yeah, right. Um, I think that's, yeah, what's weird about that kind of thing is like that type of empathizing is more useful to the people who are, who do have greater privileges and greater power, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, the pressures that you're under imagine those but also you don't have clothes or yeah like, like you you'd have the time and the resources to sit around and think about other people's problems i guess and yeah for somebody who's got two jobs they're not gonna like sit in their car trying to grab a couple hours of sleep between shifts and think about like the problems that you have in your giant new york city office building that you ride up to in your gold elevator every single day or you know just to like just to name random examples of things that rich people would do but it's just actually i don't even have a particular uh not an exact comparison to draw but i'm reminded of that scene in the fourth season of the wire where bunny takes the kids from the high school to like a fancy restaurant and it just completely backfires where they like, it is just not for them. You know, yeah, like, we talked, a, we talked about that scene a little bit in uh, an appointment television, the other podcast that I do, ATVpodcast.com. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Um, Where, yeah, they just like, they like the, the so the, like the relatively well-to-do police chief takes these kids to, not even police chief, you know, he's like a sergeant or whatever. He takes them to this nice restaurant as a reward for doing well in this like special sort of pilot class. Yeah, for at risk kids. Yeah, yeah, so they've basically taken the biggest troublemakers from all the classes and put them in this one special class, both to keep the other classrooms relatively free of disruption and like opening the other kids up for more learning, but also to give these kids the individual attention that they're all sort of crying out for. Yeah. Um, and so these three of them are doing like have done particularly well in this exercise. And so they're being taken to a fancy restaurant as like a reward. And when they get there, it's they have no, context for being like how to act or what to do in a fancy restaurant and it just overwhelms them and it ends up making them feel worse because they're being like shown this this life and like being brought into this restaurant where everybody's sort of looking down on them yeah 
Yeah. And they just, and they feel stupid and like out of place and it just makes them more upset. I think they go and get like McDonald's afterwards or something. Just, I don't think they do that. They just like, they talk about how like McDonald's is more. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, is there like, is there any element to pony boy hanging with the socials that's like that where he's like, Oh man, this is pretty great. No, not really, because you don't like the only you're never in Soch territory. Oh, okay. In this. Like whenever a Soch is talking to a greaser, it's usually because the Soch is in the like the greaser's side of town. Sure. Um or they're at like neutral space like the movies or you hear about interactions at school, even though you don't spend a lot of time at school. Um the main way that this class conflict narrative and this like we are all the same narrative comes through is when pony boy is thinking about people like dally who are so like hardened by their life on the streets that they don't have like hope anymore Mm. and by people like johnny who does eventually die sure and He's only 16, and before he dies, he's like, you know, when we went and hid out in that church, it was the only time I'd been out of town. And there's, like, other stuff that I want to do, and, and mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to die yet. And, and so this is, this is Pony Boy thinking to himself. And, and, and Dally also, also died. Like, he takes Johnny's death so hard that he provokes, he, like, provokes the cops and gets gunned. Oh, down, I remember that. Yeah. Um, Oof. And so Johnny, like he's, he's reading a note that Johnny wrote him and, and this is, so the note says, there's still lots of good in the world. Tell Dally. I don't think he knows your buddy, Johnny. And then this is pony boy. Tell Dally. It was too late to tell Dally. Would he have listened? I doubted it. Suddenly it wasn't only a personal thing to me. I could picture hundreds and hundreds of boys living on the wrong sides of cities, boys with black eyes who jumped at their own shadows, hundreds of boys who maybe watched sunsets and looked at stars and ached for something better. I could see boys going down under streetlights because they were mean and tough and hated the world and it was too late to tell them that there was still good in it and they wouldn't believe you if you did. It was too vast a problem to be just a personal thing. There should be some help. Someone should tell them before it was too late. Someone should tell their side of the story and maybe people would understand then and wouldn't be so quick to judge a boy by the amount of hair oil he wore. It was important to me. Um, So, like, I guess you could also apply this to racial stuff. Yeah. But I guess when, like, hair oil and money are the biggest differentiators, it's, like, it's less of a gap to bridge. I don't know. No. This is just, like, me reading it in 2016 and responding to it, especially in light of, like, recent events. Yeah, no, I don't don't think there's an easy read on this book that is that is useful in a conversation about race other than this book does not have a conversation about race explicitly yeah and like i do i do and this this book is commonly read and like you said like middle school high school mm-hmm. um and in that context i, I think it, it is saying good stuff about about empathy and about not judging people based solely on their appearances or like external factors um so like in that context it can be useful Oh sure. As a as a way to like get into a discussion about race. Well, yes. But that's just not something that it itself is explicitly engaging with, really. No, and it it's it as I recall and and let me know if you feel differently, it is more explicitly about it, it's these two gangs are are uh economically stratified in the way that I think the Breakfast Club is still a decent analogy of the like <laughs> 
Forget about me. I, yeah, I hear that. My fist just goes right through the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> the the self-imposed like battle lines between each other that you draw up at that age. Um, now, this book is not, as I recall, dealing specifically in like high school cliques, but that's like the big thing that came out of the eighties, right? Um, in there pop is a culture, bit about. Anyway. I, do, I don't I honestly don't this may have been from Hitton's post book sure. interview that I've quoted from a couple times but she's either in the prose or in that interview she talks about you know the names change it's like nerds versus jocks or whatever but those core like social stratifications still persist especially in like high school when you're when everybody is teens yeah, tribalism bad. Like yeah. when, well, and that's an age too where you don't know who you are, but you're kind of like being asked to know who you are. And, and you if, and the and the easiest way to do that maybe is to set yourself and your friends up in opposition to some mm-hmm, other group of people. Mm-hmm. And when you were reading that quote earlier, I was, I don't know. It's not a perfect. Again, it's not a perfect comparison, but I was thinking a lot about kind of. The angry teen and 20-something dudes on the internet right now. And I don't know what the exact comparison is to be made because they just make me so mad. And I just want to tell them that there's good in the world so that they don't have to be so mad. But, like... It's too late for them, though. Uh, they can't all be dally, though. It's it's too late Some to tell them, them they're still good in it and they wouldn't believe you if you did. They all think well, that that's Hillary true. Clinton is doing child trafficking in a pizza place in dc oh god yeah i just that that to me is what is is what is like whether or not you can accomplish it with this book like that's what this book is is talking about like don't you don't have to give up on it all there just you can admit that it's terrible and you could admit that it's bad and you can recognize things that should make you feel hopeless yeah Um, but but it is sort of like i see what you're saying it is sort of fighting back against that that impulse to say you know all is lost yeah like how did we fail these boys like yeah um and and what's interesting is that if that's coming from pony boy it's not the author and this is something i i definitely want to ask you ask you about before we run out of time like there is not an author looking back on this as an adult right like pony boy is just kind of in the moment no yeah i mean it is in the moment and it is so in the moment that the book ends with pony boy like deciding that he's gonna write his like english theme like his final english paper on this very conflict that he wants to speak out about. Sure. And so the book ends with him writing the first sentences of the book and kind of making it eat its own tail. Okay, that's fine. It's one of those books. It's one of those books. Um, so where it's the, not... Where the character in the book writes the book. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> uh, it's not like a 40-year-old or a, even like a dad looking at his teenage son and no, being like, no, no, no. oh when i was like that so there isn't or it's this... not even like a where the red fern grows thing where it's like a, a grown man sees a dog and he's like i need to think about <laughs> dogs that i once knew uh so there isn't this like when pony boy says like we've we've like all these boys like we need to save them we need to tell them this it isn't coming from an adult being like oh we failed them 
it's coming from it's coming from inside the house <laughs> like, yeah like like not only is, is that true of pony boy but it's also true of hinton at the time that she is writing yeah this, yeah because yeah. she is also this age that's that's what i find interesting about the book and is that it does not you could have any adult who had written this book even if they just put it from pony boy's perspective there is i i don't know we there tend be to this need to like filter it through an adult's it would be worth viewpoint. thinking about whether or not that's there because we do a lot yeah. of we consider the author a lot more as we talk about books than uh, some folks who practice a stricter literary analysis. Yeah. Um, and that's not what we're here to do. We're here to just kind of let you know what the book's about. So the author seems pretty relevant. Um, yeah, like it's it's something that I'm really, I guess, impressed by. Is that for something for like what is almost certainly the first like major story written by a 15 and 16 year old? This does have in America anyway, as far as I know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm talking specifically about Hinton. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, But just like talking about something written by a pretty young person like this has an unusual amount of insight and perspective. Sure. And sure. like thoughtfulness mm. on tap. And those qualities don't always come easily to 15, 16 year olds. <laughs> no, you, they think they do, but they, they don't. They do. <laughs> they think they know everything. Well, and, it, and usually what strikes me in writing by like students I've had that are teenagers, like there's an intensity and a rawness that is very moving and powerful. Even if what they're writing about is super trite and stupid. Even if it's even if it's trite, not that it's stupid. Even if it's I can stu- say what I want, uh, you can say whatever you want. If, Don't police me. <laughs> even if it's trite, or even if it's not um, measured or particularly like nuanced, Good. nuanced in the classical sense. But the honesty with which teens often write. Especially if they are moved to be, you know, creative, um, is usually pretty powerful. And what's what I, it sounds like you're responding to, and something I re, I imagine is why the book gets taught is that it, it is beyond that, right? It is not just oh, I saw some kids in my high school go down like this, and I need to write a book about it. Yeah, right. Sure. All right. Yeah, so that's like that's pretty much the like the only so we we touched a little bit on the family stuff with both Johnny's family who doesn't really care that much about him and like the gang be like the the and we've talked about this elsewhere I think like the concept of like a family that you choose versus the family that you're born into. Sure. And this is very much about like the family that you choose is super important but you also have the family that you were born into. And like, those are just, those are ties that you have that can't be easily replaced. And then that reinforces some of your like other tribalism, right? Like if you're born into a family, that's all greasers. Like you're not going to go be a Soch. That's not sort of though. There, I mean, another component of the class conflict thing is that by the end of the book, both soda and pony boy have sort of, like come to the realization they did maybe they didn't learn it but they just realized that that like dairy had dairy's like on the up and up and the only reason he's even still in this world is because he's like trying to take care of them like mm. he could be oh interesting technically a soch because he's like smart enough and he's strong enough and he 
can and go gosh and darn can, it people like and, him yeah and he can do the work and he can like move up if he wanted to but he's kind of hanging back and and that's i think used to like another way to illustrate the sort of thin blurry line between the haves and the have nots sure is that like it's it's not a line that can't be crossed yeah yeah and that's another it's just like used to drive home this like we are all basically the same narrative that she's pounding away at yeah um yeah so there's like the family stuff there's that aspect of the the class conflict stuff there's some stuff in here about dealing with loss like especially when johnny dies pony boy is just like in denial about everything from johnny dying to johnny being the one who kills the soch yeah yeah well and invulnerability is a huge thing Mm -hmm. at that age and so grappling with anyone dying is rougher than it might be at another i mean that's all relative but Especially among someone your own age, like there's always that sense of that can't happen. That's not possible. Yeah, I'm a teen. Like finally, I picked up Gone with the Wind and looked at it for a long time. I knew Johnny was dead. I had known it all the time, even while I was sick and pretending he wasn't. Um, it was Johnny, not me, who had killed Bob. I knew that too. I just thought that maybe if I played like Johnny wasn't dead, it wouldn't hurt so much. Yeah. And it's like they're talking a bit about. And this is something I'm aware of is like when I'm bothered by something and I try to make it about something else. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so two bit like Dally borrowed a, a prized switchblade from two bit. And when Dally went down, like got shot by the police, that blade got taken. And so pony boys said like the way two bit after the police had taken Dally's body away had griped because he had lost a switchblade when they searched Dallas is that all this bothering you, that switchblade? A red-eyed Steve had snapped at him. No, two-bit had said with a quivering sigh, but that's what I'm wishing was all that was bothering me. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have. I mean, it's a, it's a there's a reason why it's part of the canon, and if, like me, you somehow avoided this, like, it's definitely, um, definitely worth reading. Sure. And I think even if it's not, like, exp- like if it doesn't have an explicit narrative about like race stuff or about like the our current cultural moment i think you can still read it and come away with a with a lesson about not necessarily like tolerance or empathy but about like difference our essential humanity i guess yeah so i do i'll bring this up real quick there was a dust up on twitter like two months ago with se hinton you mentioned all of her twitter followers um somebody had started a conversation with her about whether or not uh, some of the characters in the book may have been gay or had romantic feelings. And she like shut that down pretty hard. Um, mostly as a, like this was the sixties. It would, it would not have been cute if they were gay and that's not yeah, how I she guess, wrote the characters. So she yeah, knows you could, you could see that as like, especially when Johnny and pony boy are in the church, like, that is a direction that you could have taken it and it was not a direction that she went in, but yeah. And, and it's, it's walking that line. People who have, people have been upset with her for how like harshly she responded just as a, like, I think she got very defensive as an author. Um, just saying like, no, these characters are what I say they are. Cause they're my characters and folks have responded with the like, but if I see myself in what they're doing, like, is that not valid? Um, and I think what you kind of were talking about, about 
difference and not, not quite tolerance maybe, but essential humanity between different groups. If I were, I mean, uh, knowing what kids are feeling othered, feeling how, how kids are feeling othered in schools right now, um, I imagine that there are some that there are some kids who are finding similar solace in this book right now based on yeah. these issues. So I mean I can I can I can sympathize I guess with people who are frustrated by Hinton's answer there but also I think there is a lot of value especially now in showing this group of boys or young men who are all very close and occasionally like emotionally open with each other without it being explicitly well without romantic. it like being romantic at all like not yeah. in- explicitly or implicitly like they're just men who who are close sure and i think we need like they're in we this need that. in this world where there's sort of a counter movement insisting that there's this one version of masculinity that is the true masculinity and anybody yeah. who like deviate deviates from that is like is wrong or is bad. Like, well, and I think this, this version of, of masculinity that is like, is it's macho, but it leaves room for other stuff. Like, I think that is also valuable. Yes. I think, I think you're right. I, I like think there's room for these, like, these like street toughs to talk about a Robert Frost poem. Sure. I, and I think that opening that door and modeling that also builds the bridge that allows there to be an understanding of gay masculinity as well, right? Or whatever that might mean to people. And I that, suppose I just like I don't I don't think it necessarily needs to be framed as no I'm being not about so, homosexuality. No, versus, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that that kind of came up, and and if I. I don't know, making assumptions about how what people might see in this book now and and if they're reading it for the first time now as yeah. a teenager, what they might be feeling like. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I'm also inclined just not to not to judge Hinton too harshly because no, Twitter yeah. is like Twitter's a for mess. A platform, <laughs> for a platform that people love to argue on, like it is so <laughs> insufficient. For a decent yes. argument. Correct. Because it's also all public. Almost. Ugh, it's all public and it's all these short little snippets where people can like read and retweet one part of it without understanding the rest of it. And it's just it sucks. And I yeah. hate it. Yeah. And I hate like I I know that Twitter threads are having a moment right now, but I hate them as and it, ways as, yeah. I, I absolutely hate them as ways to convey complex ideas that are important for more than just the moment where you're reading them. Yes. Because it's so hard to read them in the first place and then it's so hard to find them later. Like it's such an ephemeral yeah, and format. We're now- and I just like people are trying to use it in ways that it just like they have a platform and like this is how you reach people, but also it sucks. It sucks for that. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it just well, sucks. So even though Twitter sucks, uh, you can reach us on twitter.com slash overdue pod. <laughs> Uh, Facebook sucks, but a little bit less. You could use facebook.com slash overdue pod. This has different problems. Uh, I want to thank everyone who reached out to us on those two exquisite social media services this past week. Claire says, what 
Robert, Grace, Melissa, Carol, Mr. J, Ariel, Maria, Ashley, Rebecca, Silas, Christine, Lucas, Taylor, Christina, and Camille, ATV Podcast. I've never heard of that. Mr. J, Christy, <laughs> Hannah, Scott, Sonia, Aaron, Starfish Chick, Sarah, Renata, Charlotte, Dion, Teresa, Stephanie, Trisha, Florencia, Tessa, Tara, Tanya, Michael, Paula, and Lindsay. I also want to thank those of you who participated in our t-shirt sale. That was very exciting. Uh, those should be headed out your way soon. Thanks to everybody at Cotton Bureau for making that happen. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They can go to OverduePodcast.com where we've got links to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and RSS. Those are all services that you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out every Monday. Um, we also have links to our Patreon project, which you can use to support us financially. We have Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Um, our December schedule will be up on the site uh, tomorrow. We've, we nailed it down tonight, so you guys will know everything that we're reading for the month soon. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because we like it. We got a couple it, of those recently. Thanks, folks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. It it helps, uh, and it helps the show. It helps people find the show, and that's like we grow pretty much exclusively organically. Like we've ever paid for ads, but mostly we're like a word of mouth operation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, thanks for reviewing us. Thanks to the people we see like recommending the show to people who ask for book podcasts. I always like seeing those. That is like arguably my favorite thing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, what else? Like we have, uh, links to Spreaker, our podcast host, HeadGum, our podcast network. Um, and I think later this week we are going to have the rest of our merch stuff go live. Um, so I posted a teasered picture of this to Facebook and Twitter. We're going to have tote bags, mugs, stickers, and bookmarks. And we're going to have that stuff for sale on our site. I think what we're going to do is we're going to sell it for a couple of weeks. Then we will order as many, you know, as many things as as we need so we don't have like a lot of extra tote bags sitting in somebody's basement forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we'll and then we'll ship them out to you as soon as we can get them. But uh yeah, we'll have that stuff. Look look at overduepodcast.com and we'll also update our Twitter and Facebook pages incessantly once we get going. But um that should be starting soon, so be on the be on the lookout for it. Craig, is there anything in that I missed and what are you reading next week? Well, next up on the overdue mixtape is White Teeth by Zadie Smith. That's what I'm reading for next week. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I'll have any raps about it, but we'll see. Just see see how the mood grabs you. It'll probably be raps. Just, just see how it grabs you. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, have a good month, a good week, <laughs> a good day. And until next Monday, try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast. Andrew, pause here because I didn't do social list. Oh. I just need to do that real quick. Sorry. I was writing raps instead. You idiot. (laughs) Hold on. Give me one second. Oh, I'll give you a second. Maybe I should write some raps while you... You could. Do this garbage. You could. Do it. My name's Andrew, and I'm here to say... That's how they all start.
Uh-huh. Um, Craig didn't do his job in a disappointing oh, way. Yeah. See that see if that fits the beat though. He he fell down on the job. It's making me mad. He needed to do good, but <laughs> instead he did bad. <laughs> choking on my own saliva oh my god that's pretty good thanks i'm gonna you're gonna be one you're gonna be one of the feats you're gonna get a feat track on my first mixtape oh thank you that's good